What did we start last week? That's right. You know, sometimes Christians get together Monday morning. They're around the water source or whatever. So what does the preacher preach about Sunday night? And some wise guy says, he preached about an hour. It was too long. <laughs> no, what did he preach about? Well, where was his text? I don't know. He just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked. Maybe you want to listen a little bit better. But uh, we're committed to look at the Psalms. One Psalm, one Sunday. And uh, there are how many Psalms? 150. There's so many Psalms. The book of the Psalms is divided into five books. And we finished book one. So if you have been here every Sunday we've been doing this, you've already heard every word of a whole book of the Psalms. And there's more stuff in one book of the Psalms than are in several books of the Bible. You could read Philemon just like that. Second John, third John. Jude, Obadiah, every quick. But uh, 41 Psalms, and that's just book one. And when we looked at Psalm 42, that's the one that opens book number two. Psalm 43, you might say, did we read that? Part of it you did. There's an interesting connection between 42 and 43. In fact, if you remember, when we read Psalm 42, the fifth verse, the last verse, sound a lot alike. And when we read Psalm 43, the fifth verse, which is the last verse, sounds a lot like it. So let's read these five verses. <clears throat> and then I want to focus on what we read in the fifth and last verses of 42 and which is also the fifth and last verse of 43. Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God, why art thou cast down on my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Let's bow. Father, as we contemplate your word, may your spirit bring to bear and cause to sink down into our spirits to know what is so, what you've said in your word. Help us to take great comfort. May we be comforted by the principles laid down in your word. May we see the good examples of the godly men and women who sought your face, who heard your direction, and they showed the faith of men like Abraham, Moses, women like Ruth, Sarah. Help us to have a readiness 
to hear and to obey. To know and to go and do as you're pleased for us to. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if I talk a little bit fast, I don't want to squeeze a lot of stuff in and not go too, too, too long because we also have a business meeting coming up. But I want to talk about the Christian and the blue. The Christian and the blues. A lot of people think it's incompatible and inconceivable for a Christian ever to be depressed. What's the matter, buddy? You're a Christian. You ought to be smiling all the time. Well, uh, can't show me that in Scripture, but you have a reason to rejoice. You might be between the sword and the wall. You might be having things bearing down upon you. You might be like David who said, I am but a, this is but a step between me and death. I'm walking a narrow line here, folks. Every breath I take could be my last. And we live in the light of that. The knowledge that our times are in His hands. And what do we go through in this crucible that is like this veil of tears? Now, in a way, you could say that Psalm 43 is like a, a short version of Psalm 42. There are some people that seem to think that you need to go through life as a Christian with a clown-like smile on your face. Happy, happy, happy. I'm just happy all the time. The Bible does say rejoice with those who rejoice, but it also says weep with those who weep. Don't ever be the person what, what is your Christianity, buddy? Can't you rejoice? Well, you might not be showing it on the outside, but the anchor to our soul, the person and work of Christ. And God's Word speaks to us but we still go through headaches and heartaches. And it's good to know that there are people praying for you. Dear family members, dear friends, church members. I told you that uh, yesterday and Friday, Marsha and I were over Coweta, even though the man on the Beep and a beep on her phone kept calling it Coweta. You know what? There are hurting people all over the place. How do we deal with that? Do we get depressed with a point when we're in a funk, as some would say? Sometimes we're not maybe too proud of the way we might think the way we might feel, the way we might approach things. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're reminded that the uh, vicissitudes of life get to us sometimes, the ups and downs. Notice, uh, Ephesians 4, verse 26, it says, Be ye angry. Is it a sin to be angry? If it was, it was a sin for Jesus to be angry when he went to the temple. And he said, You've made the house of prayer into a place of merchandise. Jesus turned the tables. People said, What's his problem? What's going on here? They said, the zeal of the Lord hath eaten them up. In fact, you know Jesus whipped those fellas? Where did he get the whip? He took the time to make the whip himself. I can just imagine those fellas. What's Jesus doing? He looks like he's making a whip. Wonder who he's going to use it on. They found out real quick. <clears throat> At sin it is never wrong for us to be angry. 
Just make sure you're more angry at the sin in you than you are at the sin in other people. Just really look at those people out there. They're dirtbags. They're this. They're that. They are sinners. They are wicked. You want to get a good look at a sinner? Just take a look in the mirror. I suppose at least one of the reasons why the Lord said, before you go looking for the little speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye, what about that telephone pole you got? Be angry and sin not. It is possible to be angry. But I don't think it's scripturally possible for a Christian to remain angry and not venture into sin. Paul says it so shortly, so succinctly. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. You don't want to stay angry. You don't want to stay dark in your soul. We have a word we use sometimes, melancholy. And uh, the good doctor, as he was known, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote, and that's why I wanted to pass that out so I wouldn't take any preaching time reading that to you, but I think it's a helpful thing. He wrote a whole book on spiritual depression. And he opens it up with those words. We use the word melancholy. And it comes from a couple of words. Melas means black. When I was in the Navy, they said the, the uniform of the day is winter working blue. Well, it wasn't blue, it was black. Like your sweater. Is that blue? That's what happened. You get called by a preacher trying to tell you something. Okay. Black was last night. But they didn't say winter working black because we had people of all skin colors in the Navy. They said winter working black. So, oh, I'm not black. I don't have to work. No, we call them winter working blues. But the color is black. I know they have navy blue too, but those reefers, those jackets we wore, pea coats they're called, they're black. And you don't get much blacker than that. But to have the blues, if you will, that's, uh, we find many times in Scripture. Now, when you see mal in a word, like a malady or malice, that's a root word that means bad. And malos from the Greek goes over to the Latin mal. And then when you're maladjusted, that means things aren't quite right. When you're malicious, if your name is Alice, that's not a bad name, but if your name is Malice, that means you're up to mischief. You're in trouble, problems. It's like the idea of the ink. I mentioned a couple of short books that John wrote. Both of them comprise but one chapter each. Second John and Third John. Take a look at both of those real quick. They're probably pretty close to each other in the Bible. <clears throat> Second John 12. Having many things to write to you, I would not write with paper and ink. You know why you can read the ink so well? Because the paper's white and the ink is black. The contrast there. And then in 3 John, look at verse 13. He says, pretty close to what he just said in 2 John, I have many things to write, but I will not with pen, with ink and pen write unto thee. A lot of times we use the word black to indicate something bad. Something that is sinister. Something that is, the world would say, unlucky. How many times have I heard a preacher say, You have a black heart! And it's black as black can be. 
Your black sins condemn you. You know that's not right. What color is sin? Is it white? Is it green? Is it blue? Though your sins be as scarlet, that's a deep dyed red. Though your sins be as scarlet, we tend to say, well, black, white, they're opposites. But our sins are described as the scarlet. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. It's there, all right. Black, the antithesis of white. A blackness, a darkness, a mood, if you will. And then to make up melancholy, we have melos, and then we have kole. That's indicative of bile or gall. When Jesus was suspended on the cross and he said, I thirst, they, don't, they didn't go get him a picker upper. They didn't get him a Dr. Pepper or a Diet Pepsi. No. They put vinegar and gall. There's a bitterness in there. Acts 8.23 metaphorically uses the term the gall of bitterness. When Peter came to do a follow-up, when Philip had gone to a place, there was a guy named Simon. And Simon listened, and they said, we're going to bring the big guns in, we're going to bring the apostle Peter in. And he saw miracles performed. And he says, how much do I have to pay so I can have this power? That's why we use the word simony when someone wants to buy an office. Many times in history there are those who couldn't do anything else and so mama or grandpa or somebody <clears throat> they gave the priest, the bishop a big chunk of change and their otherwise worthless child became a priest themselves. To buy an office, that's simony. And when <clears throat> When Peter heard that, he looked at Simon and said, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. You can't buy off God. You know, if you're a mafioso, if you're Cosa Nostra, if you got one of these things going on, you say, well, enough money will buy anything you want. Not with God, it won't. We need to know that that's so. <clears throat> and Colet, the other part of melancholy, it also speaks of wickedness, productive of evil fruit. <clears throat> light begets light. <clears throat> if you have a dog, and it be a female, and that female give birth, she ain't going to give birth to hamsters or kittens or goldfish, they're going to be puppies. <clears throat> because light begets light. And the spiritual is true as well. Do you know why you're sinners? Because your dad was a sinner. No, kiddos. You didn't get your sin nature from your mom. You got it from your daddy. Does that mean mama's not a sinner? Well, she had a daddy too. We get it from our daddy. Spiritually speaking, Jesus said in the 8th of John to those scoundrels, we're, we're born of Abraham. Abraham's our father. And he says, if Abraham were your father, you do the works of Abraham because like begins like. But you are like your father. We're talking about the devil. They didn't like that too much. <clears throat> when I moved to Memphis in 1973, I roomed with a man who loved Jimmy Rogers. Some of you young people might not have heard of Jimmy Rogers. I came in that first day and I heard, lady, what in the world was that? This California city boy hearing this fellow yodeling away. I think he yodeled in every song he ever recorded. 
And he'd say, the blues ain't nothing but a good man feeling bad. You, you feel the weight of what you're going through or what you anticipate. What's it going on? When Mr. Webster put together his American Dictionary of the English Language in 1828, he described melancholy as a gloomy state of mind, a gloomy state that is of some continuance or habitual, depression of spirits induced by grief, dejection of spirits. And we have people today say, I'm a Christian, but I'm in a constant state of depression. This world has got its grip on me. The devil has got me depressed. My own mind, my own heart. I just, I just want to pull covers over my head. Well, if we're honest, we would probably best admit that we might get that feeling from time to time. But there is a cure. And it's not from pop psychology. It's not from, I don't even know if he's on TV anymore, Dr. Phil or somebody like that. We should realize that there are some definite causes of this melancholy. James chapter 1. We were looking at James this morning in Sunday school. James is a very practical book. doesn't teach a lot of deep doctrine, but that's okay sometimes. <clears throat> we need the practical side too. James chapter 1, look at verse 8. One thing that causes you to be unsure about things. A double-minded, verse 8 of James 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. First you do, then you don't. Then you can, then you can't. I don't know, it's just, it's just this this going on, that, that'll mess you up. A certain person I knew was kind of sort of a conviction about A. And then he would also vacillate and he'd go over to position B. And so in order to make sure he met all the bases, he goes six months with A and then just the opposite six months with B. Back and forth, back and forth. And he's a married man with children and the children said, Mama, are we in the A side today or in the B side today? Back and forth, back and forth. Make up your mind! Take a stand! One of the things that Brother Joe Maldonado mentioned not too, too long ago, he was in a meeting and he was just a young preacher and a whole bunch of other preachers there. And one man said, what do you believe about? And he went around the room. And he realized the more opinions were stated he said well I kind of sort of agree with that guy a little bit and a little bit more with him and not at all with him I don't want to make anybody mad and so when it got to him he says well you know I just I just hope it'll all work out and he just tried to please everybody you know what happens when you try to please everybody you don't please anybody and he said, we had a preacher that I think was 85 years old. And he reached over and grabbed one. Make up your mind. Have a conviction. If you know what the Lord has said, then stick with that. Amen. A double-minded. I don't like a wishy-washy. Do you? Went to the doctor once. And the guy would start talking about the Lord. He said, where do you go to church? I go, no, no. If I was ashamed where I went to church, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. Without apology, we should say, we stand for this book. We have the blessed hope. We want to declare and live in the truth. And we have teachable spirit. I want God to show me from His Word. Now you know better than to take something on my Word. But if I say, look in the scripture, don't be like the lady we knew in another place. I said, when she asked me about the doctrine of election, I don't believe that election stuff. And I said, well, let me show you in your Bible. You ain't touching my Bible. She's mellowed a little bit since then. 
But there are people like that. They don't want to be convicted. Don't show me that in the Bible because then I might have to actually believe it. And I'm not ready to believe that yet. I'm sure God, I'll believe it in my good time. The Lord might have a way of bringing you around before you're ready about this, that, and the other. But double-mindedness. The prophet asked once, how long will you halt between two opinions? You remember a place called Mount Carmel? And some of the Hebrews said, well, you know, Jehovah. And then others, well, you know, there's Baal. And someone said, Which, who could tell? And so maybe it's both. And the prophet stood up, how long do you halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow Him. If Baal, follow Him. You can't have it both ways, folks. H. Boyce Taylor, the great Baptist from about oh, maybe 80 years ago or so, and he said, and it makes people mad when I quote it sometimes, he said, if Baptists are right, we ought to be Baptists because everybody ought to be right. If Baptists are wrong, nobody ought to be a Baptist because nobody ought to be wrong. How do you define logic like that? Put up Russia. But there are some people. That's another reason why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God and man. It's not a question of, well, I'll give God this percentage, this chunk of my time and my resources and the world or anyone or anything else. You're to be sold out to God. Did you know that? Well, you're a preacher. Yes, I am. But I'm a Christian first. And you are too. You say, well, I'm a Christian baker. <coughs> you're a Christian first. Well, I'm a Christian. What, fill in the blank with whatever. If you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a Christian. 100%. 24-7. What days? Every day that ends in a Y. That's the day you're supposed to act like a Christian. Think like a Christian. Assume what the Lord says about the Christian. A second cause of melancholy is ingratitude. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. If you just begin to think of the blessings, Psalm 68, 19, Blessed be the Lord that daily Moteth us with benefits. What does it take to get by? Well, I guess you need something to eat and something to drink and something to wear. Yeah. And some people say, my TV went down. I, I don't have 200 channels to pick from. Clickety click. Uh, this, that, the other. And we, what we look at as toys become pretty soon necessary. Believe it or not, there are some things you can live without. And you might actually draw closer to the Lord. We had a storm a while back. And couldn't get anything to come in. Well, you know what? No storm has ever affected my Bible to the point where I couldn't read my Bible. Before we married, I lived in a deluxe mansion. <laughs> and the power went out. I said, well, I got my Bible. So I went out the yard, put a folded chair, and read from my Bible. And God speaks that way. You don't have to have all the bells and whistles that the world talks about. Oh, there are catalogs that tell you, you can get this, you can get that. Get the basics. Get God's Word. Get it in your mind. Get it in your heart. Show it in your life. Live it. Sometimes people are ungrateful. The Lord told the story about the man who is grateful and the other who is ungrateful. And the scriptures record how the ten lepers came to Jesus. Men who were under a sentence of death. They had a disease that was going to kill them. <clears throat> there was no known cure. 
the only hope of a cure that they could reasonably have is if God would heal them. And Jesus meets them in the road and He healed. You know how many He healed? This many. You know how many bothered to come back and say, thank you, Lord. This many. And by the way, He was a Samaritan. And the Lord didn't say, well, at least we got one. That's better than none. No. There's another way to look at that. And this time he said, where are the nine? The Lord's house should be full with his people. It should appeal to us to be in the presence of the Lord. To sing praises to the Lord. To hear the prayers of God's people. To enjoy the fellowship of God's people. We had a dear sister who was laid out and we'd go to see her and she said, Brother, the thing I miss most, I can't go to church. Some people say, I can't go to the racetrack. I can't hang out and do this. I can't enjoy that. She said, I want to be in, in the house of God. I, wouldn't it be a good Bible verse if it says, I was glad when they said it to me. Let us go into the house of... Oh, that is a Bible verse, isn't it? Psalm 122. It opens with that. They weren't mad. They weren't sad. Glad to say, let us go into the house of the Lord. Another thing that will get you is hypocrisy. You've heard Ray Stevens? He wrote a song a few years ago about the, the first self-righteous church. The little squirrel that got loose and turned things upside down. He wrote another song. He's watching late night and he saw one of these flash in the pan guys. You know, and he says, here's this guy with a gazillion dollar Rolex on his watch asking me for a 20. And he wrote a song with Jesus where a Rolex on his television show. Makes you think. Makes you think. Jesus warned in the 12th of Luke, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples weren't believed by that. He was talking about their hypocrisy. Be the real McCoy. The, real, the guy that writes our Sunday school lesson. His name is McCoy. I don't know which McCoy he is. But I remember watching a TV show of the real McCoys. Uh -huh. That means you're the real deal. You're not just going through the motions. Playing a part. And then a fourth thing that can cause that is self-indulgence. You know, we live in a society that doesn't just whisper it, it shouts it. Remember when they first brought out a commercial for McDonald's? You, you're the one. We do it all for you. And uh, we like to hear stuff like that. We like to think that uh, it's it's all about me. It's all about me. <clears throat> In First Samuel chapter 22, David had an army. What kind of army was it? Uh, Let's preach, make, preach it here sometime. A message on the 3D army of David. It wasn't 3D like you might think. What's it say? He had, he didn't have this or the salt of the earth. Some said he had the scum of the earth. 1 Samuel chapter 22. First two verses. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dolom. And when his brethren and all his followers out heard, they went down thither to him. And who were the folks that showed up to be in David's army? It wasn't the 1A's, it was the 4F's, if you will. And everyone that was in distress. And everyone that was in debt. And everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. I had to leave California and go to Shreveport, Louisiana, and hear somebody call somebody else a sorry outfit. 
always thought sorry meant that you were sympathetic. No, sorry is that the term is still used many times here in the Southland. It means pathetic. It's to be to be pitied, if you will. Pardon me. Self-indulgence can get you. The cures for this melancholy. And uh, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. I hinted at this already when I talked about experience related dealing with Brother Joe Maldonado. You need to know your limitations. You need to be willing to take a stand. If you're always bent with the winds of change, if you try to blend in with everybody, there are a lot of Christians that do that. And a lot of times they find out that's not the way to go. I bet you can think of a character in the Bible. I bet a lot of you can think of somebody who just tried to blend in with everybody and don't, don't ruffle any feathers. Just let everybody have their way. Go on like that. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take into the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all the stick. Have some backbone in living the Christian life. I love that old song I learned as a little one. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Sometimes it takes an awful lot of gut to stand tall for the Lord. When it's not popular, when it doesn't fit in with the way so many people want to be. And sometimes we want to do the whole thing. You know, Moses was a very capable fellow. But Moses had his limitations. And here he is. He's led the people out of Egypt. And when it was time for them to hear what's going on, he had a father-in-law that he learned to listen to. We call him Jethro. And Jethro's watching Moses. And he said, you know, during the day you're leading the people. And then during the night, they come to you with their gripes and complaints and squabbles. And Jethro says, you know, Moses, for a bright guy, you're not so smart. What do you mean, Pop? You can't do all of that. You need to delegate. You need some help. Because it's going to wear you out. Some people with a desire to be what the Lord would have them be, they bite off more than they can chew. They don't realize that God made us as social creatures and we're thankful. What did the Lord say about Adam? He said, well, I got a man down there to run things. That... No. He said it's not good for the man to be alone. And he gave him this help. And we have help. So we should be thankful for our brethren. We should be thankful for brothers and sisters who care about the things of God. Does it encourage you to see another believer, someone that believes as you do and is committed to the same God and Savior as we it should. And you know what? I, outside of the church where I am, I love to be in another place where there are believers. I love being in Coeta, but not as much as I love being here. But I can't be here. I want to be in a place where there are Christian people. People who are committed to this book and living the way this book tells us. And to believe the way this book tells us. Now I can survive in a lot of different clients. And I have Christian friends I can only go so far with though. Or else they're going to say or do something. I'm not with you on that. I'm not to stand alone. I have to stand apart from you. But know your limitations. And have and demonstrate genuine <clears throat> gratitude. You've heard me say this before, but it certainly bears repeating. 
Never forget a kindness. I've had people say and do kind things to me, and I thank God for them. Not just then when they did it. I'm still thankful. In fact, there are probably more dead people. I'm still thankful for God bringing them into my life for the good that they did. And it wasn't always that they gave me something like money or something else tangible. A lot of times they gave me an ear. A lot of times they gave me a chewing out that I needed. Sometimes they just said, I want you, I'm praying for you. I want you to know that I will be there for you. And you can't do too much about the people that have passed on except to remember the good done. But what can you do to others? Because we're all on an assembly line. We're all going down the line. And there are people that we'll see now and we won't see again. We said goodbye yesterday to some people. The Lord willing, I might see every one of them many, many more times in my life. Then again, I might not. You just don't know. The last time I saw Brother Roger Dore, I, I said goodbye, not thinking that that was the last time I'd see him on this earth. And so, if you have an opportunity, let people know that you love them. Let people know that you care. And something else to remember, don't take yourself too serious. I look in the mirror and I can't take myself all that seriously. I just, just, just keep on going. Keep on going. Solomon said in Proverbs 17, 22, that a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. I'm satisfied God has a sense of humor. He made me. And uh, you might you say, yeah, I think so too. I think he must have a sense of humor because he made you. But, you know, we all have things that go down and we, we kind of wonder. And the Lord does things. We should be of a, of a good humor. I can appreciate the man who could get steamed up about something and say, listen, brother, i got to tell you something. And they tell you, and it's said, and it's done, and it's understood. And then, now let's get on with the work. You know, don't, don't dwell in that sort of thing. Don't dwell in the negative. Sometimes a thing has to be done. You know, my dad had to spank me uh, more than a few times. But he never spanked me and then an hour later, you know, I'm still mad. I would spank you again. No, and that didn't happen, thank the Lord. But uh, you get over things. You learn. Now, if I kept doing stupid stuff, then I'd probably get the whooping again. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we get whoopings, to remind us that there's a motivation not to, not to go there. And... The last thing along these lines is humility. If you take yourself too seriously, if you go through life like a big sore thumb, waiting for somebody to bruise you, waiting for somebody to say or do something that's going to bend your antenna, guess what? It's going to happen. And you're going to pout and want to take your ball and go play someplace else. One man was preaching as a guest preacher in his friend's church. And he quoted the 23rd Psalm. You know, the 23rd Psalm is probably the most popular passage in God's Word. And for good reason. It speaks to us no matter where we are, no matter what we're going through. It's a message of hope. Get you back on track. And after the service, he's out there standing... And it could have been a man, but in this case it was a lady. This lady walked up to him and she had fire in her eye. And she said, how dare you use the 23rd Psalm in your message? Woo! And she walked by and he turned to his friend, the pastor. And he said, what did I say? What did I do? What did I fail to say or do? It's well, about eight years ago, her husband died. And uh, I used the 23rd Psalm in the funeral. And she said, Preacher, 
I'm satisfied. That's why the Lord put the 23rd Psalm in the Bible. So you could read it and talk about my husband. You know, sometimes people say things and you say, something to think about. But that's about as far as she went. And as far as she was went, that's her territory. Kind of like a dog when you try to take their food away from them while they're eating. I learned the hard way. You don't try to pet the dog or try to play with their food while they're eating that food. They get real protective. But she was that way about the 23rd Psalm. You'd get on her bad side right quick if you even read the 23rd Psalm. That's kind of hard to relate to. But there are some people, people are funny. And I don't mean ha-ha. Sometimes they're curious. I don't mean they're asking a whole lot of questions. And so, don't take yourself so seriously. And to be humble, we've got a sign down here in the hallway based on Micah 6.8. He has shown me, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require me? Well, I'll tell you what is. You're supposed to be straight in your doctrine. And make sure that you're the good example and anybody that messes up, you just crush them with your presence and ability to quote scripture. What Bible are you reading, mister? He has shown the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require thee? To do justly. I got that one squared away. I do the right thing. I don't care what anybody else does anytime, any place. I do the right thing. Pretty full of myself. Do justly. Okay? And then the second thing, love mercy. I find a lot of people want to do the right thing, but they're not so kind. They're short term with people who follow them who step on their toes or whatever. Love, mercy. And what's the third thing? I think he saved the best for last. Walk humbly with thy God. Sometimes the Jews are, we are the Jews! We are the chosen people! We are the special ones! And God used Isaiah to say, remember this, a Syrian ready to perish was your father. We're all physically descended from Adam. And uh, let me use the theological term right here. Adam was a stinker. He was a rebel. He did what he thought would be in his best interests rather than obeying the Lord. And you say, well, not me. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Adam in you. There's a lot of Adam in me. We're all descended from Adam. And that's a problem. And we realize that. When Paul was toward the end of his life, I'll tell you something you can put down and you can take it to the bank. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus died for sinners. Let me get personal for a moment. I'm the worst of the bunch. Jesus said, when you're looking for your minister, don't look for the one that wants to be top dog. Find the one who's the servant. Find the one who realizes God has blessed me. Everything I have, I got from the Lord. If someone gives you a compliment, deflect the praise. Say, God gave me that ability. God gave me that opportunity. God used men and women to invest in me I'm thankful to Brother Dick because he's taught me probably more songs than I've ever learned from any one person. And he's probably got a few more to teach me too. That's fine. That's fine. And if I don't sing it too loud, it doesn't mean I think it's unscriptural. It just, sometimes it just means, I don't know this song. I, I better shut up and listen because I'll, I'll stick out like a sore thumb. I'd rather sing in conjunction with everybody else. But you know, the solution is found in our text. You can't be smart enough to figure out 
you're not resourceful enough to get it all together and always be prepared. That's what people want. They want, you know, eight clues for, you know, get it, get it all together. <coughs> Why art thou cast down on my soul? This last verse asks. And why art thou disquieted within me? Why do I have all these problems? Why do I have a difficulty coming to terms with reality? Hope in God. God's got you covered. God is the source. He is your strength. Three times in the Old Testament. He's my strength. He's my song. He's my salvation. Where do I fit in? I'm on the receiving end. And so are you. May we know that that is so. For I shall yet praise Him. I won't say, I'm going to spend the rest of my life bragging on me. I'm really somebody. I'm warming up for an opera. Me, 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 me. No, that's not the right way. That's not what we ought to say. Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise Him. He is the health of my countenance. My countenance. How do I... If I'm all excited about the stuff I've got, and the stuff I know, and the people I know, and the places I've been, and that's so shallow. You run out of soap real quick if that's what you're going to rejoice in. But you're a hoping God. But God is the health of my countenance. What makes me smile... What makes me shine? And what should make you smile? What should make you shine? It's the sweetness of Jesus Christ. I never heard it until I went to prison. But I hear inmates say, the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. This guy was a child molester. This guy was a murderer. Some people, ooh, ooh, they're wicked, they're criminals, they're in prison. Yeah. Paul wrote to some Corinthians and he says, you know what kind of people are sinners? And he goes through the list, bunk, 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 bunk. And, they, and, 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 and so are some of you. Don't get high and mighty and think, well, I'm better than that. Sometimes it's a matter they didn't get caught. But to understand, that, that's what grace is all about. With all due consideration, no, we, we ought to strive to sin less, but we are not sinless in our lives. And if you have a good memory, you remember stupid stuff instead, places you went, etc. I shall yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer.